drafted a ton of best ball teams. Hundreds. Thousands. You're a total sicko. But you never stop to think about, am I drafting all the same players together that everybody else is? Does that even matter? Should I be scrolling all the way down in the 18th or the 20th round to find some guys who are not being drafted in every draft? How do we handle ownership and player combinations, uniqueness, and all those fun subjects? That's what we're going to do here today on Legendary Sickos, Pat Kareen and Eric Finefour. Let's do it. So, Pat, no one accused us of this, but we accused ourselves of uh, through however many shows that we've done so far for or something that we we tend to like agree on almost every single subject, which, you know, is all fun. But also, uh, you know, we can get a like a little bit of content where maybe you and I don't agree on 100 percent of everything. And we've already done the you and I do agree on this one, but we've done the DJ Moore bit. We've done the Sam Howell bit. We've done all of those, but there's other well, Sam Howell. We can do a whole pod on. We don't we, really we can, agree we, on that one. Yeah. Uh, we, what we have been accused of is maybe going a little long on some podcasts. So I, I'm going to yeah. go ahead and put out a bet Especially today that week. we, that we don't quite get to the level that we got to. Uh, Should we last try and wrap week? up now just to uh, make yeah, sure it goes I'm, within three hours? Every time you stop talking, I'm just going to keep going. So, you know, to wrap things up here and see how many times I can get that in, I think it was like five or six last last week. But one subject yeah. that I'm not even sure that we totally disagree on, but I think is a good one to cover, and you brought it up last week, is what I would really just call it is like this element of uniqueness in terms of, of best ball, because it's actually like really hard to wrap your mind around, like in a practical sense, like you hop into the draft. This isn't like... DFS, you know, anybody that plays DraftKings or something, you can go to a bunch of different websites. Obviously, I work for Roto Grinders. We have ownership projections. We can kind of tell you, right, what are our opponents doing? Who are the stacks that they're playing that week? How are they even constructing their teams? You can figure all that out. In best ball, it is much trickier. And I don't think that that means it's meaningless, but I think that it means you have to be pretty thoughtful about how you attack this kind of uniqueness element because we do know that, like, and I think you even said this on a, a past show is like I'll, I'll, the ideal to like show up to these week 17 finals with just like this fully unique team, right? Your stacks yeah, yeah. are low owned. You have leverage, blah, blah, blah. But putting that into practice in the draft is much different than like hoping for it to play out over the summer. So I think we can talk about some of the ways that you may or may not be able to achieve something like that. Yeah. And to a large extent, um, that is going to be completely luck. Like, yeah. You're, so I showed up with Austin Eckler, who was leverage, but only because Justin Jefferson was a first-round pick, you couldn't have Austin Eckler and Justin Jefferson together. And Justin Jefferson had the highest finals advance rate of any player over the last two seasons. I mean, he was driving teams to the playoffs. So it's not that Austin Eckler was like a bad player to have. He was really good. He got me to the finals in the first place by scoring a second touchdown in week 16. I mean, he was a, was an engine of, of uh, final success as well, but it was just not quite as impactful as Jefferson and you couldn't have both. And so he ended up getting underrepresented because, you know, relative to how good he had actually done to that point. And he had had a good season overall. So that's just like complete luck. Like you have, you pick a great 
wide, a first round pick and a wide receiver in the first round happens to be an even better pick. And then you get leverage on that wide receiver with your great first round pick. So, you know, that, that is what you want to have happen, but it's not something I don't think you can really plan for. Um, but there is, I think some levers we can pull to try to, you know, maybe make sure we we're at least thinking through that leverage concept. I think that's, that's like, almost best ball in a nutshell that I think you have to start like where we should probably start and wherever you should probably start with just about every one of these subjects. And we've kind of hit on it in the past in a couple of other shows where like the point isn't that you're going to like solve this puzzle and you could right in DFS, we could probably technically calculate at least much more accurately, like the, the actual leverage and the expected value of this team based on ownership and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think, I don't think we'll ever get to that in best ball. Maybe like, Hopefully I'll be retired by then a long time away. Um, but they are, these types of things are these little micro edges and these tiny little levers I think that you can pull so that that very top level concept that you just said that like, this is just, this game is like 99% variance, like maybe an exaggeration, but like, like you said, you drafted a good team. You drafted an awesome first round pick. And just through the way things play out over the course of a season, he ends up as leverage in the final. That's right. like the dream. Like that's that's what we hope for. But you can't plan for that. Like nothing we're going to talk about today is like, how do I get the RB1 in fantasy to week 17 low owned? You know what I mean? Which is what Austin Eckler was. That's just kind of total variance, total luck. And there's a lot of that. Right. The uh, we'll talk about not necessarily you and I today, but I'm sure over the course of the summer, the things of like ping ponging weeks. Right. Like uh, uh, you stack this offense and you get you. Know, so the, the famous example is two years ago. T Higgins in week 16 goes nuts. That gets you Jamar Chase into week 17. Low owned Jamar Chase was like a mega smash fifth round pick. Like this was not some, you know, right. guy snuck in because he sucked. It was an awesome pick who just so happened to be leverage are there ways we can maybe try to attack that sure but at the end of the day it's largely just variance so i do think it's important to like get that out of the way we're not ever going to say here like some of these things are not achievable like the austin eckler thing in terms of when you draft it's not achievable to find a way to make austin eckler like you said underrepresented in the final but i think there are little tiny micro edges throughout the course of a draft similar to some of these other concepts that will do structure or or what stacking or whatever you'll reach certain parts of the draft where you can pull that lever and then over the course of your 150 team portfolio you just have these tiny little ownership edges that could set you up for if things break your way yeah that makes a lot of sense i think the the issue with you know if you're coming from dfs um where we pay we pay a lot of attention in dfs to chalk and you know basically who's popular, who's going to be on a high percentage of teams in a given week. And I would say probably two years ago, we were really good at predicting who was going to be played. And last year I felt like we weren't as good mm. at predicting who was going to be played because people were paying so much attention to the concept of, I don't want to be on, like if there's two running backs, one's projected slightly worse, but he's going to be owned you know, a fifth as much, then I'm going to play the guy with the slightly worse projection because when he, you know, goes off in, you know, a smaller subset of uh, occurrences, he goes off than the, the higher projected guy. But when he goes off, I vault to the top as opposed to holding hands with the field when the chalky running back goes off. So 
that concept I think has really sunk in for people. And I think it's kind of sunk in for people here a little bit, you know, where you hear like, Oh, you, you can't draft like this combo. It's very chalky. But I would say, I think I'm like kind of skeptical of that part of it because one, I think in best ball we're a few years ago with the ownership stuff. Definitely. We're not like most people aren't thinking about this and most people aren't even like CD lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown are being correlated together more often by people who are heavy drafters. That's definitely true. They're also just going to end up together because they happen to have like similar ADPs on the turn. So they're and they have... did before to be clear on those guys, this wasn't like, a, sometimes this will happen and people will make that argument. Oh, people are moving the ADPs to align the week 17 games or whatever that I don't, in my opinion, that's not the case with CD and Amon. They've basically always gone here. They deserve to go here. And so it's just, so they're, they're just going to fall into that into place. Like you said. Yeah. And I do get the argument that given that they're their first, uh, they are your first and second round pick. It's likely that if you make the week 17 final, one of them had a really strong stretch and therefore it is likely that, you know, one of them will be high owned. And as a result, there's probably going to be some other Amon Ross St. Browns and, and CD lamb <clears throat> combos in the final. And then you're gonna be like, ah, crap. I got my top two picks are, are kind of chalky. So yeah, that's, that's not like, that's not ideal, <laughs> but I also think like there's a chance like those two are in a game against each other and they're both really strong picks in that range. And like, I, if that's the case, like maybe you want both of those guys in week 17. Like maybe that is the the kind of the foundation of the week 17 winning lineup. You have 16 other picks on your team. Mm -hmm. And I think my feeling on it is like it's so chaotic to get there that how chalky can we really get with a combo like that? Like, do you what do you think that week 17 final could realistically have in terms of like that pair being represented like it's a tough 10 percent of the field 15 yeah. percent of the field it's definitely a very very tough question to answer the one thing i have been trying to think about a little bit more is separating out best ball mania um as well as like the DraftKings millie a little bit from the other tournaments and how i handle all, all things everything but this this subject falls in line with that too where when you think about bbm and you have to obviously two out of 12. So just like every other tournament in the regular season advance, and then one out of 16, one out of 16. And then you have more than 400 teams in the final. Not that 400 is a huge number, but for best ball, I mean, two years ago, we would have been going, our eyes would have popped out of our heads thinking about a 400 person final. So it is pretty big to finish first out of 16 twice in a row. I think we will see like, the guys you need, the air quote guys you need from weeks 15 and 16, in particular 16, are going to be very, very popular in week 17 because you have to finish so much. This isn't beating eight teams in week 15 where you can be like, yeah, I didn't have an awesome week, but like my pod sucked, right? You'll get that. Like there's 15 other teams. There's going to be good teams and there's going to be right. They advanced their top 17% teams in the whole tournament. So and maybe higher. So you're you're running into really, really strong teams with really, really good players on it, probably a little bit more healthy, you know, than uh, the, the rest of the field is. So anyway, 
Right. When you have to finish that that highly in week 15 and week 16 against other really strong teams, I think in best ball mania specifically, we might see a little bit. I, it, I Again, it may not be CeeDee Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown. It could be a, a seventh round pick. It could be we, it could be jo- right. Josh Jacobs That's, of last that, year. Yeah, I completely agree that we are going to get to the best ball mania four final. And there's going to be players that are owned by somewhere, probably a handful of players that are on. 30 to 55 percent of the rosters mm-hmm. because there's going to be some performances that are so impactful that you end up like kind of feeling like you had to have not that you had to have all of them but you it's like if you didn't have one of these five guys like i don't know how you did it you know it's, i mean it, and there will be teams that don't but it's going to be really really tough if you don't have one of these five guys and you know it's probably like there might be an elite tight end who went off twice. Uh, there might be a yep. quarterback who went nuts. There's probably a late round guy who came out of nowhere, wide receiver who had a big spike week. There's a handcuffed running back who did nothing all season, but went off in week 16. And like, you just happen to have him in the 17th round or whatever. Like those guys are going to be massively represented in the final, but that dynamic does create the potential for you to bring in a chalk stack that isn't chalky at all. Like you mm-hmm. could have Amon Ross St. Brown and CD lamb with um, Kyle Pitts, And then you could have, um, you know, some random running back that happens to go off late and that random running back and Kyle Pitts end up being kind of the guys who got you there. And so, and it's like, you could, sh- you could show up with guys who did pretty well in Amon Ross St. Brown, CD Lamb, but they never had huge weeks to that point. They just kind of chugged along, helped you get there. Yep. You know, like, so I, that's going to happen. Like some of the stuff that's chalky now could, could end up being huge leverage in the final, depending on how things play out. And it's so chaotic. It's hard to predict. Now, if, if Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown were being like drafted together on like 80% of teams right now, then I, I would feel differently. But I think we're looking at the chalkiest we're seeing is Mahomes uh, Kelsey. Kelsey at 36%. Where's this one? The Aminara. I have you like we actually pulled up. I actually don't even think it's Amonra. We have Amonra and CD all that high. I need to go to today. I keep screwing this up every time. Hacker's going to punch me when he watches this because I, I need to have to the ownership projections today up but i can look it up really quick cd and amonra because you hear about that one all 12. the time is like 12 okay yeah i'm not worried about that no i'm and, and but you'll hear like oh that's a chalk that's chalk dude that's a chalk stack I, I, it isn't it isn't once we're in week 17 i don't think the kelsey mahomes one definitely could be like because and it's also it's correlated before that you know the the other thing about the cd lamb and the amadron one is it's not correlated until you get to week 17 right they're not even in the same division but it's the only time they're going to play each other the mahomes kelsey one i'm more open to that argument of like not that you shouldn't take them together but that maybe think about doing some other things you know from that point on pick a guy who's not being drafted 100 percent of the time or we can get into some of the other levers to pull, but there there's probably things you want to think about with like a chalk actual stack as opposed to a bring back stack. And I think that 
is one of the most important elements that does get missed in our crazy little bubble sometimes. Like I'll see it on Twitter. I mean, it, it some of this stuff flows through my brain too, right? We're all thinking about these kind of advanced concepts and but we have to take a step back and you said it like pretty perfectly. We're from a from a drafting perspective, all these mentally ill thoughts that we have about how to construct these teams, that is not that is not there's there's a, a million teams or whatever in the DraftKings final. A very very tiny or in the DraftKings Millie Maker. There's such a minuscule percentage of that is uh, is people like us. And even then, we don't do these things in every single draft, right? So, like, even the, the sickest people aren't doing every single possible week 17 correlation and all, you know, and these unique combinations and all that. And we have to take a step back and think about just because something has become kind of trendy or in our bubble on Twitter, right? Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, another example, but uh, let's, so let's say last year when elite tied. Now it's funny because elite tight end, as you have outlined very well, has kind of everybody's done with it. Uh, even yeah, though take five they, tight ends they, now, that's the name yeah. It, now we're supposed to take five shitty ones as opposed to to one good one. We've we've gone totally the opposite end yeah. of the tight end spectrum. But the I'm elite not tight ends that. were in all the winning teams last year. No one cares. Yes. And and now you're going to win it with uh, Hayden Hurst or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, good luck. But uh, it, it's not even like the point about elite tight end is is just that I see a lot of people being like, yep, you know, I'm done with elite. I'm done with elite tight end. Or last year, everybody's like, these people are rushing for elite tight end because like it's a talking point. It's in our bubble. A lot of people are are talking about it, which is the same thing you'll see with the CD Lamb and Amon Ra. It, if you're in this space and you're a sicko, you clearly quickly understand. That looks pretty good. They're both good at that cost. I like both of them as picks in a vacuum. Now they correlate. That game looks really fun. It, it makes a ton of sense. But the actual best ball market is not like hammering CeeDee Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown, right? What they are right. hammering is Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Because like you said, that one is like, that's like casual player just the easiest click of all time, right? You get Travis Kelsey, you, you pick sixth or seventh or whatever. There's kind of a tear break right there. She's like, oh, I'm just going to take Travis Kelsey. The second round, look who is highest on the board left when I had Travis Kelsey in the first round. Boom, I'll take Mahomes. Even then, you say, the casual says, I don't want to take a quarterback in the second round. Mahomes might fall back to him in the, in the third round because there's not a ton of reason other than a Jamar Chase drafter or I guess T. Higgins to take Patrick Mahomes. So sometimes he falls there. So it's just one that falls into place so, so frequently. Just to uh, bring up the CD point, we've, we're projecting uh, CD and Amon Ra at about 12, 12%. And again, this is specifically for uh, like all of this summer. So like not just today, right? Today, maybe it's a little bit of a different number, but by the time, you know, BBM closes or whatever later, we think somewhere around 12% of teams will have that. The highest owned CD Lamb combination is actually with Christian Watson, hmm. because you fall to that you fall to that fourth round, right? So you think about take CD eleventh overall, you take it the one two turn, then you get back around to that three four turn, and everybody is hammering like it's all these wide receivers nobody wants, right? The Chargers guys, you're like mm, whatever. Mike, you know uh, Jerry Judy are like oh god, the Broncos really, you know DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin. Like, do any of these guys look good? And Ridley and Amari are off the board. There's no running backs there. So everybody's just like, Christian Watson. Okay, he, he's fun. He scored a bunch. He's young. He scored a bunch of long touchdowns last year. I'm clicking him. So he, that would be the combination if you're talking about a CD one where, oh, man, 
you know, if a quarter of the field are clicking Christian Watson with CD lamb for no reason, right. The only reason is just like, he's there and everybody else. I don't like them. Like that's one type well, of situation I'll where I might think about too. it a little bit. I don't, I don't, I'm not that worried about that because I guess I would bet against the stability of the ADP being that strong throughout the entire BBM summer, you know, that you're, that, yeah, Watson's there now, and he's an easy click now. But we haven't had training camp yet. Maybe Jaden Reed starts to be really buzzy. You know, Christian Watson could fall, which isn't a reason mm-hmm. to take him. <laughs> but, you know, he could <laughs> fall. He could also get really buzzy himself. Jordan Love could look good. You know, they could be like, this team's actually, I think they're going to let Jordan Love, you know, run this offense. They're not going to, this isn't going to be a shell of an offense. They want to see what they have in their young passer, blah, blah, blah. And Watson could move up a bit. I mean, I don't think that people are overly excited about, you know, the wide receivers and kind of the, the, the spot right before him. So he could, you know, there's room for him to maybe move up a little. He's still, so, you know, even if he moves up a little bit, he's then he, now he's the, the third round pick that you took. Oh, he's on the third round side of it. Yeah, fair enough. It is probably more that he falls, which isn't a reason to take him, but there's, I think there's, it's just like, yes, these pockets line up in certain ways right now, but it's all going to get scrambled. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be guys who rise and fall. There's going to be injuries as well, you know, and then the guys who stay healthy are going to move up just naturally. So I think if there's no reason that it's like CD lamb and then Watson tends to be in a pocket of the draft where most people want a wide receiver and they're on the same side of the board. I'm skeptical that that maintains such a high combinatorial ownership throughout the entire summer, because it means we're betting on a very stable ADP market, which I don't think I like that bet. One thing I will say about the stable ADP part is in those early rounds, like if you were a seventh round pick, like um, probably my favorite tier actually of the wide receivers is like the sixth, seventh, eighth or whatever from, I don't know locket or or what some jsn or something like that all the way down to like gabe and Jahan dotson or bateman really there's that tier all all those guys right there if if you told me that bateman shot up like two rounds i would not so like this conversation around someone like rashad bateman couldn't agree more no no notes but christian watson at 40 overall is like uh, he said yes there there can be injuries and, and such but like there's no real rational way to say yes he's going in front of Ramondre Stevenson like it's even if Christian he Watson... falls yeah it's because exactly. he falls but you know if he if he ends up being once people come in and they're like I'm taking this dude who caught like four long balls and now Jordan <laughs> loves his quarterback the three four turn like no like, I'm not and it falls more to the five six like I don't think Watson will fall all the way to you know the the seven eight right so right. the no the five six I, I don't think he'll fall five, away six. at five six I think he five six mm-hmm. yeah it would be like late it'd be like he'll be at the four or five which is away the four from five CD, to I that mean. to that to to that to that point um, still finishing my coffee um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> join, yeah the the, join the club that's the so yeah if, if he were to fall if you think there's a risk that he falls from the three four all the way to the five six then don't take him but if he were to fall more to like the mid fourth to the end of the fourth, to more of the early, early fifth, be a feature of that turn or kind of heading over to that turn. Then, I mean, obviously, again, you're, you're losing closing line value 
but that would certainly break this this combo. So you wouldn't because he CD I don't think is unlikely. He think he's pretty unlikely to fall in a meaningful yeah. way. Um, that is definitely true. Two two things. First, I mean, I probably should have done do this second, but it's it's fresh on my mind. Is that's just best ball mania, right? So this is right, right, this right. is where what we'll, we'll probably get into, which is the most impactful part of any of this ownership and uniqueness stuff, is in tournaments. Which, like, if you're listening to this right now, Puppy Two just came out. We've had two poodles. You know, we've had uh, Puppy One. We're gonna have plenty more that are like. I mean, the poodles were lasting Snapchat. 36 hours, 36 hours. This puppy will be a couple weeks, probably, I would bet. And so when it is drafted in that snapshot of time, like you mentioned, it it can't because we do know, right? In two weeks, n- nothing is, like, is substantially yeah. going to change. Yeah. So I think that to your point, the discussion of best ball mania versus the other tournaments as it relates to kind of ownership combos and draft rates and all that is a, they're they're wildly different. Um, and I personally prefer to leverage them in like the puppy. And I mean, the poodle that was like 24 hours, <laughs> like I can, I can really kind of put my hat on here and just say, look, I- I'm not going to have no CD lamb and no Christian Watt for me personally across my whole portfolio, but I can be cognizant of this tournament's only going to last a very short amount of time. And given everything we know right now, it's going to be one of the more popular ways that people draft CD Lamb. Again, that still doesn't mean I don't have to take it, but it does. But when I show up, I'm only going to draft five CD Lamb total teams. I want to be cognizant of if am I just clicking Christian Watson every single time because he's right there? I don't want to do that either. So it's this like push pull. You know what I mean? I don't want to. I'm not saying yeah. it's not like DFS, like you said. The, the casual DFS player will say, oh, that guy's 65% and this other guy's 10%. I'm just playing the 10% guy. It's not like that. It's just I want to be cognizant of exact like these more popular combinations and then address them. If you love them and you say, this is still too low. That, but you need to know that too. You, know? you need to know, yeah, yeah. do I need to smash this every time? Or am I like, mm, for me personally, man, if they're really taking Christian Watson this many times with CeeDee Lamb, for no re- like there's no correlation reason there's no you know stacking reason none of that maybe i'll maybe, maybe i'll back it off a little bit right i'm not going to avoid it but i maybe i want to have a little more mclaurin gibbs whatever somebody that go, you know gibbs correlates with him and nobody's taking jameer gibbs with cd lamb you know just little stuff like that where it's more so you being think that's right because i do that it. sometimes i'll do that I know Gibbs. so do I, but everybody, people don't like gibbs gibbs is falling to your your point yeah. about christian watson yeah, yeah, watson hasn't yeah. been falling and gibbs is the um, point about the snapshot tournaments is really good. Yeah, they, that is where if, if you know, there's a projection that they, these two are going to be like kind of over-owned relative to like any real reason for it. And it's a snapshot tournament. And I think some of the smaller stuff like the puppies, um, you know, it's a, that's a 150 max. And it's, it, you know, launched in early June. So it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of entries in it from people who consume a lot of content. That's, that's sort of, uh, I think that's a very safe bet. Oh yeah. You know, sometimes the puppies are harder than BBM, you know, I think they are. I think they are harder. (laughs) So you're going to, if there's like a spot where there are going to be a lot of teams doing like a ton of the same combos, it would be, I think in the puppy because it's a smaller window of time. There's less kind of shakeups that can happen. And the like the 
people drafting in there and able to get down like a lot of lineups in a short period of time, you know, it's just, it's the type of people who would be doing those, those combos generally, those core type of combos. And like, that's, it's one, another bullet point in the, we have to treat like the puppies and the poodles and all of those differently than we should like later in the summer. It's not now, but DraftKings will start to like launch more like small single entries. I don't, they ran like a billion $12 single entries last year. I couldn't even keep track. There was, there ended up being like 10 different $12 single entries, but they're smaller field ones. They fill really fast drafters, right? Pretty much takes the whole summer to fill both of their tournaments. And BBM will obviously take the whole summer in the DraftKings Millie, which literally we'll has a million entries. Takes. Yeah. It, it, I would so, really like to draft some late August BBM teams. I know. I know. That's what I'm, that's what I'm also hoping. That's what I'm loving the puppies and the poodles and all that. Cause it's helping me flesh out what I want to do. So that when I come back around in August, like I'm not BBM's throwing away. Like, I, don't I think, know we, we just, we were thinking they could kind of have it fill whenever they wanted by just launching other stuff. And yet it's, Let's see. It's a. Uh, it's already fifteen percent filled. That's crazy. And they've been launching a lot of stuff. I know they filled like four other tournaments already, and it's still it's still filling. But that's like probably my biggest thing when it comes to. It's not even like a, a practical way to talk about uniqueness, but just in that how wildly different BBM is from from the other tournaments. And I will actively be more thoughtful in like the puppy two right now about some of these combinations. And, and I, I, what I also will say is I actually think about it a lot more like as the total collective draft goes on. And so it's not ever anyone like you, we project Mahomes and Kelsey to be the most popular pairing. That doesn't mean I'm not ever drafting Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, right? It's not binary. Like this is popular. Can't do it. Or this isn't popular. Have to do it. It's never like that, but I'm, Every time I, there's, you know, I'm basically just, just like in DFS, like, dude, whether the guy is 11% or 8%, I don't, it does not matter. It's somewhere in the, in that ballpark and that's fine. But I do care about these four guys are going to be 40 plus percent, right? So how am I handling them? It doesn't mean I can't play any of them. I probably don't want to play all of them. Right. And so I'm balancing all these different things. If I draft CD and Amon Ra, in the first round. Okay. Not super chalky, but eh, maybe some sharper guys are doing it. Then I come back around. Maybe I don't take Christian Watson on that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't take another who, who's maybe I can look up the Amon Ra pairings really quick so I can speak intelligently. Um, yeah. I mean, that would make sense to like break. Christian Watson toward- is actually the second highest projected own wide receiver with Amon Ra, which also makes sense. Cause right. it's so now you're kind of stacking those things up where you're like, Oh, yeah. it wasn't just, those two it's like and again that also doesn't mean that that's wrong but it just means i want to make sure that i'm not just blindly firing off adp and then we flip the cards over in in september and i have a ton of these cd amon Ra, christian watson teams when christian watson there was no reason to draft maybe i want cd amon Ra, but i just drafted christian watson because he was the best available player there and so it's like you mentioned we talked about it with week 17 and like uh playoff stacking Keeping that, it, it helps keep you from doing things you maybe didn't know that you were going to make a mistake yeah. on, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you mentioned Cole Komet. You're like, like I mean, I like Cole Komet fine. I actually have him a little above ADP, but I never got him. And so when I had the opportunity to take him because of the correlation aspects, it, 
it made my portfolio of teams better. It made this team better and it made my portfolio better. And so that's kind of how I think about ownership. It's like, it's never any one player or even like two or three players in a vacuum, but just being cognizant of it as I'm drafting over my entire portfolio, it helps drive me to making my portfolio of teams better as a whole. Yeah, no, that makes sense. With the Mahomes one, one thing I'd say right now is like, we're in an ADP environment where we're starting to see the quarterbacks slip a little bit and you're, you're potentially, you know, getting the quarterbacks to slide around the, the two, three turn. I would be pushing that with a Kelsey pick at this point. I'd be saying, you know, let me, mm-hmm. let me try and get that third round Mahomes because I think we're headed that way. And it'll also help create some, combos that are different than the ones that have been created to date, but then still with some early season overall team building stuff that you want the teams yep. like, like even if Mahomes settles into a third round ADP right next to Kelsey's ADP in the first round, and that combo becomes super chalky in a first and third capacity, you know, in August, those August drafters are still going to have very different overall teams than you. So it's like, let me try to, let me risk not getting Mahomes at all by pushing him over, you know, around the corner and see if he comes back. But if he does come back, I'm now not worried at all about the the chalky aspect of it because Agreed. my overall teams are going to, it's going to look like an August team drafted in June as opposed to the rest of the, the June and May teams. A hundred percent. And I think that's, the thing right is it, we talked about this one too you're every time you like come on the clock or you, you enter a draft you're weighing all these different things and ownership is just one tiny little sliver of that there's 20 different things you're thinking about getting that what you just said this august team in june getting i mean who the heck wouldn't want patrick mahomes to travis kelsey like if i show up to week 17 i think i'd be okay having having that uh even if maybe it's a little bit more popular but it's it's not just the ownership that says, oh my God, Mahomes and Kelsey are super popular, can't do it. It's like, well, there are ways to do it, but knowing that it's popular can drive you to the smart ways to do it. Like you just, like you just outlined, like th- if I were to draft Mahomes and Kelsey, knowing that a lot of people are doing it, here's how I would do it in a smart way. So I'm not going to get zero of it. I might even like match the, f- end up like matching the field of Mahomes and Kelsey. But when I do it, my teams are going to be better than those yeah, other Mahomes yeah. and Kelsey teams. Yeah. And, you know, there could be a situation where Mahomes and Kelsey have quiet week 16s and, um, you know, Tony Pollard does not. Tony Pollard has an amazing week 16. Yeah. And now, like, if you were to have pushed Mahomes and maybe Pollard, Pollard might – no, Pollard's probably an okay example because he could move up considerably in ADP. Um if you know, they, they don't sign anybody and I mean, Pollard, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he was like the 13th or 14th pick by the time we get to August. So um, you could have, again, a team that's not very common in terms of the three guys, because you, that one's a good Pollard one. 1%, in the, in the late second. 1% of Pollard teams have Mahomes and Kelsey as a, as just an example. Okay. Like today. So, so there you go. I mean, if Pollard is the guy you need in weeks 15 and 16, which he totally could be, maybe he powers a lower own Mahomes and Kelsey who had an okay 
you know, they were fine in the fancy playoffs and they were really good in the regular season, but they just didn't happen to have the biggest games. And then you like show up and it's like, yeah, Kelsey was actually really powerful to have this year, but he, he wasn't the tight end who went off in the playoffs. So, you know, he didn't power the kind of the, the elite tight end crew through and Mahomes wasn't as strong in the, over the last two weeks as Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. So he ends up being underrepresented as an elite quarterback. I mean, you can't, it's so chaotic and so difficult to make it to the finals one out of 16. I mean, it's not like it'd be different if like we were doing like half the team, half the field advances, half the field advances, half the field advances. Like it's not being good over weeks 15 and 16. It's being outrageously elite. Those are the guys who get you to the finals. So it's like, if you, if you happen to have a pair that's good and they're paired with someone uncommon, then you, you need that uncommon person to be outrageously elite in a very specific week, which is variance. You know, you can't, you can't, yeah. you're not, you have no control over that part, but you do at least have your a, a chance for it to play out that way. And then you show up and it's like, dude, I have low owned Mahomes to Kelsey right now. It's the Eckler thing. And of course we're not like planning for it, but it is, it's again, it all goes back to it's, so much variance this whole this whole game is variance dude like not even like injuries injury variance like freaking officiating very like we'll get to week 17 and like they may not call a pass interference or something or they may call a pass interference right you have your stack they throw it to the end zone they pi in the end zone right oh here comes jamal williams touchdown number 20 like it, there's, it's just variance. It's so, so, so much yeah. variance across this whole game, yeah. how the scores come together and all that. But all that doesn't mean we just throw our hands up and say, this is all luck, which you will see, you know, uh, on Twitter or in YouTube comments or whatever, people just saying it's all luck. And while it is like all luck in the results that play out, we can do these little things, just like you just said with Mahomes and Kelsey that say over my portfolio, if I do this kind of thing a lot, I'm going to be able to be set up better when that variance comes through for me. Right. If the variance doesn't come through for you, who gives a shit? When the luck hits that spot, nothing really happens. When the luck hits that spot, some good things are happening. I'm going to go stand over there. When the luck hits just in the Mahomes Kelsey example, when the luck hits, you took Kelsey in the first round, Mahomes in the second round, Calvin Ridley in the third round. Like everybody, I'm just making something up just like everybody else did every other team that's drafted right now, right? So even if things move, like you said, Mahomes moves back to the third round or the, the Christian Watson movement type stuff, that time, all those teams that you drafted Mahomes and Kelsey on, when the luck hit them, it's zero edge. There, there, there's, there's no edge other than the fact that like you have Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, which is of course an edge and a reason to draft them together because yes. if they hit, it's monstrous. But relative, to, like if we're stacking up all these edges, you didn't, inherently create any real edge by just firing ripping away right up next guy up on adp he's stacking partner makes total sense but you can just do little little things right let me see if i can get mahomes and pollard let me see if i can get mahomes and uh, like a wide receiver either waddle let me see let me see if it'll happen yeah right and will it i don't know probably not but when it does you just built and absolutely like almost from the jump, a really strong plus EV team just got added to your portfolio instead of one where you're like just throwing your, your, you know, shrugging at the variance. Yeah. I think it was uh Sigmund Bloom in the uh, MFL 10 of death that, and 
I was kind of so intrigued by this and maybe this, I don't know, maybe this will become a popular thing to do now, but he took Kelsey and then Devontae Smith. And then that allows you two outs right now. That's kind of a really interesting way to play. I like this that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so maybe because, because we like it so much, maybe it'll become, yeah. you know, we, I, I, I mentioned it, I think three times already since I saw it, um, <laughs> but it is pretty cool because now you could argue that Smith isn't worthy of that pick. I think he probably is. So, you know, it, and it's certainly, it's giving up on, you know, some of the eight, the ADP value that we have from the, the two, three turn of running backs in a sense, but is it really because you went tight end wide receiver and then the next pick is not going to be a wide receiver. You're either going to go, yeah, here it is. You're either going to go Mahomes hurts or a running back would be my, would be my thinking. So Correct. if I get sniped on, uh, you know, taking Devonte Smith there allows me the flexibility to feel like, you know what, if I get sniped on hurts and Mahomes, I'll just take my favorite running back in that spot and still grab the value and still do something that's going to be pretty unique. You know, I'm going to have this unique group of players. Cause I don't think a lot of these, these third round running backs were either going to like start to feel really shaky about them or they're going to move up, I think. So they're not going to totally. be sitting right here. Um, but I mean, this played out perfectly for him. He got Travis Kelsey, Devontae Smith, and then Patrick Mahomes came back to him. I mean, that's, that's pretty fun. And I doubt this combo ends up being, well, to this point, it's probably not been very popular. And this is like the perfect example of, I'm not saying that Sigmund was thinking about best ball ownership when he did this. It's the MFL. Time it's, of a, death. It's, it's a standalone a, league. Yeah. It's, it's a very different. Uh, but it's uh, two outs to an elite quarterback stack. So it's, I think it's pretty, it's very I, sharp. It's, it's such a good application of a lot of different things. Um, and again, this is to our theme of like, you're thinking about 10 different things when you're coming on the clock here, he comes on the clock and round two. And it just say this was underdog. This was BBM or whatever. A lot of people would just say, just give me Mahomes because I don't want to lose it, right? I, I want my chief stack. I don't want to lose it. I'm just going to take him here, whoever falls to me. Because either way, even if you took Mahomes, right, at uh, the whatever, the 210, there's one of these other – Devonta, T, Jacobs, Chubb, or Hall mathematically have to be there. If you like Ramondre or you want to throw Ramondre in there, like – there's only four picks after him. So one of the five or six guys obviously yeah. have to be there. And then of course uh, all the quarterbacks. So you would say, Oh, I could just take Mahomes." But what he did is multiple different things. Like I said, it wasn't a best ball ownership thing, but he, he set himself up and he said, there's only four guys back here. I'm either going to get one of, like you said, three things. They're all awesome outcomes. So you can do this in best ball too, right? It's like, you want to get your Mahomes in the way that Pat described you can do that. Maybe you, right. He took Kelsey third overall. I know it's a little different, um, but you take Kelsey third and then this, this sets you up for this kind of a, a situation. You're either going to get your Mahomes stack at a great cost with a better and more unique second round pick. You're going to get Hertz with Devonta Smith, right? Which is also a pretty awesome stack and also probably a pretty unique start with Travis Kelsey. Or you're going to get one of this second round running back that we love. Everybody loves. Who doesn't love? Yeah. Chubb, Hall, Jacobs, Ramondre. You know, I know Derrick Henry went much earlier in this one, but some, sometimes these guys are all available at that point. It's a it's a win 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 scenario, and it guarantees you not not uniqueness, but it guarantees you to build like a, a strong starting team that factors in like all these four or five different things that matter at that pick spot. 
and he did it from the 103, you know, at the 105, it'd be tougher because at that point, like, am I really taking Devonta Smith in the second round there? But I think, you know, you could, you could, I actually still think you could, yeah. um, but you could also, you know, maybe if you, if, I guess this move comes down to how strong you feel about Kelsey. Do you want to do, you know, and maybe, maybe this is more of like a DraftKings type of thing where there's like a little bit more of an edge to, to having Kelsey probably. Um, but, and Kelsey and Mahomes because of the bonuses and right and obviously yeah. PPR like they if they both hit bonuses they their spike weeks together in a playoff setting on DraftKings oh my god dude you get right eight for one twenty and two from Kelsey and Mahomes throws for four hundred and four or something like that you're just racking up so many extra points or rushing bonus from from Jalen Hurts double double yep, bonus yep. maybe yep. um the obviously I should just know that this is contingent on both quarterbacks being available when you select Devonta Smith. So, <laughs> you Correct. know, you got to be able to push both quarterbacks around the turn there. Uh, and in on DraftKings, I think that's pretty uncommon, actually. Hurts tends to go very early on there still. So, But this is whether or not you're right, you know, you would want to actually try to implement this. I think the way it fell for Sigmund here and the way, you know, he clearly was lining up, you know, let me get Mahomes, but gave himself a second out to that other early quarterback. I just think it's super sharp. I just loved it. I think it's such a good application, not just of what we're talking about here today, but just like that's just I, I this is like, it's like my favorite word. That's just thoughtfulness. He took 10 seconds to be like, hmm, I have this Kelsey guy. I would like to have Mahomes with him, but how can I do it in a really smart and strategic way? It's like, well, I just take Devonta Smith. Worst case, I get Hurts. Or not even worst case, right? Best case, I get Mahomes. Second worst case, I get uh, uh, Hurts. And fallback plan is a superstar running back. That seems that seems pretty good, but it only it's happens. It only happens if you take Devonta Smith. And like that's not a profound thing to take Devonta Smith with Travis Kelsey in the second round. But it was incredibly thoughtful, and he set himself up super well. And that's really all any of this shit is, because like we've talked about the variance a million times. Like you're just trying to do, like, I just want to do not ex- literally specifically what Sigmund did, but I want to do things like what Sigmund did 150 times and pray to God that one of them comes through for me. Right. right. That's all. That's right. all I'm trying to do. Yeah. I mean, if we advance one team to the final this year, if everyone watching, we all advance one team to the final, we've all tremendously outperformed our expectations. Even if you had 150 teams in the best ball mania uh, and, and you advance one, I mean, you're, your expected advance, you are expected to advance based on this advance rate structure, one team roughly every 10 years. <laughs> makes me sick to my stomach. And and that's with 150 teams. I mean, 150 teams times point one six seven 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 seven. right? That's 20. So you expect to advance 25 teams, okay? And then that's times one divided by 16, which is 0. 0.0625 times 25. That's one and a half teams. And then, so that's, you're expected to have one and a half teams in the semifinals. And then that leaves you with 0.097 teams in the finals. So if you did this for 10 years, you'd have one team that gets to the finals, actually slightly less. So this is a very difficult. Now, that's if you have no edge. I think we have an edge, but it's still not like. Yeah, but so what? Every six years, yeah. eight years, you yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So it's still like you are, you know, you're going to have your one bullet in a good season. And yeah, it's, I want it to be, I want to turn over that card. Be like, I, I did it. I got there. Let me see what I got. And it's like not some haphazard collection yeah. of randos that are high owned. <laughs> that's, that's not ideal. Um, so, you know, we only have so much control over what that looks like. And if you told me that I could get a haphazard collection of randos to the finals, um, I would take it. I would say, of sure, course. I'm going to book that, um, you know, rather than where I sit here today, thoughtfully curating all my teams <laughs> with, you know, that get knocked odds. out in week. <laughs> that get knocked out in week 16. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause that's just, that's just how difficult it is to make to the finals. But, you know, if all of your teams are thoughtfully curated, the odds that the one that does get to the finals, when we get lucky enough to get one to the finals, you know, it's going to be a, a thoughtfully curated team and not a collection of randos. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's just it, right? Is like it's with with ownership and like player combinations and that is most of the time I would, uh, uh, despite the fact that like we obviously built out something to help us project this, I do think it's meaningful. Most of the time when you're on the clock, it's not even something that's probably going to enter your brain. That has, there's always well, areas of gray. Let me ask you about the, so what, so we talked about like, okay, you know, you can avoid these things to an extent or, you know, I'm kind of more like, I'm not avoid some of the ones like, oh, you know, everyone does those two. I'm not really avoiding it as much or, you know, the Kelsey Mahomes one, as we talked about a little bit more open to maybe trying to push that and create. It's mostly chiefs Bengals. I just, just from yeah. an actual, like this year's draft, if, if you take one thing away from like specifically how to think about this in this year's draft, I know we talked about the Christian Watson thing. I don't even really care that much about the Christian Watson thing. Although I do, I'll contradict myself when they're guys that logically have no real rhyme or reason to go with each other, which is kind of the Christian Watson example. I do want to be cognizant of that yeah. because Especially like the Mahomes, in the puppy or something. Yes, something exactly. I, I and that's, do agree I, with that. And that's again, best ball mania is very different than the puppy. I am being a little bit more cognizant, but the main thing, if you're taking something away, maybe you're not subscribed. So you don't have access to the ownership projections just yet. It's really chiefs bangles, dude. It's like, it's like ev everything driving the top of the ownership projections is how people are putting together Mahomes, Kelsey, Burrow, Chase, T, Tony. It, it, that, that's almost everything is driven around those combinations because you can get, you can kind of get them at the beginning. You can get Tony, you know, sixth or seventh round. You can get Mixon in the middle rounds and everybody loves that game as you should. And everybody loves those two offenses. So a lot of the highest combination stuff has to do with those two teams. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, I think there's interesting ways to try to build around that game, even if you don't have Mahomes and um, or Burrow as, as your quarterback. You know, you can do stuff like, I mean, who knows? I Last night I drafted uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, a couple, I think maybe a pick ahead of ADP, but I but I like him a pick ahead of ADP right now. And uh, then I got Rasheed Rice like 30 picks past ADP. I was like, well. Maybe I looked into a Mahomes double Please. there <laughs> yeah, without yeah. Mahomes. I, I, I had uh, Anthony Richardson and Geno Smith on that team. But those guys were uh, – I had Richardson stacked with Josh Downs and Jelani Woods super late with Michael Meyer bring back. So very, very cheap but correlated. And, hey, I mean, cheap guys can score touchdowns too. And uh, 
then I had Geno Smith with uh, JSN, Tyler Lockett, and Deontay Johnson, and Jalen Warren coming back. So I'd stacked up that game. I'd stacked up the Colts game. I probably don't have any correlation with the Chiefs, but, you know, getting a cheap Chiefs guy and a guy who has at least some chance of signing with the Chiefs is, is one way to, to yep. get exposure. Um, so I, I don't mind, you know, trying to make sure – it's like, hey, I want to be overweight the Chiefs and the Bengals, uh, even if I'm doing little mini combos. Even if I do Rasheed Rice and Irv Smith sometimes, or, you know, I, once we have a little more clarity and I'm taking Travion Williams on on the backup running back or whatever, you know, I think that that's totally fine. And it's such a such a good game between two good, I mean, not, not good, great offenses that it's hard to be like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, they're probably mm-hmm. going to score a bunch of points against each other. I do think, though, that people get like really in the weeds on what is going to happen um, and, you know, looking at like secondaries and stuff like, oh, you know, this secondary is really poor and we're going to we should be targeting this this game in week 17. Like, I think that if you're doing that yourself, uh, that's fine. Like, you know, don't overweight it. But if you're like. I think I found something. I think this game is sort of being underdrafted or this, this could be like a, a sneaky good game to target and you want to target that game. I don't really have a problem with that. But if there's sort of a consensus building around these, you know, certain games being the games to target, I would want to fade that because all we know is that these teams, teams play each other. That's all we know. We are not going to be good at predicting which of these games shoot out with the possible exception of the chiefs Bengals. <laughs> so like, but we're not, we're, that's not the point of the week 17 correlation. The point is that they're definitely playing each other. So if there's points in the games, then, you know, it can help push the other offense and, and the correlation can work in your favor. So, it, and again, like if people are going to start to gravitate towards, and I think they are, I think people, when they get this, when the week 17 thing starts to click, it often clicks as a, oh, okay. And honestly, I kind of like this game. I see this game being, I see it being a really fun yep. game. I'm going to target this game. It's like, that's, I mean, that's okay if you want to target that game, right? You like the players in that, you know, you think these guys are underrated and these guys are underrated and you can correlate them together. Sure. But like, again, if some games end up being like much more correlated or much more, uh, put together and those players have higher combinatorial ownership than other games because in June we thought they might shoot out. Like I'm fading that hard. We don't know which games are going to shoot out on new year's Eve. (laughs) On New Year's Eve, We don't know. So like, you know, that's one way to get like, Oh dude, you can't stack that game. Like their corners are way too good. Like, Oh really? I can't stack that game because the corners are way too good. Like, first of all, we're terrible predicting which corners are even good. Second of all, like the, they, they could both have a hamstring pulls by the time New Year's Eve comes around. Like that's what happened both. to the Panthers. The Panthers yeah. did have the Panthers did have like a really talented defense with two really good young corners actually. And uh, even if you were right about that, JC Horn's good, right? It didn't matter because you got to Week 17 and they weren't out there and Brady dunking matter. all over them. <laughs> yeah. So like just that those types of again, like if you think you have an edge and are quietly selecting guys because, you know, you you really like this offense and you really like the other offense and you think both are underpriced and 
you think the market is is kind of wacky that's different but if there's kind of popular games and unpopular games market-wide i think it's an edge just to be like shut up just tune everyone out and draft you've selected this guy you know you selected a guy on you know what's the what's the grossest game you know, I don't know. I, the Seahawks and the Steelers is, is not one. I don't think people are psyched to stack. And up the we're excited for Browns and Jets, but uh, that doesn't seem very appealing outdoors on New Year's Eve either. That actually doesn't. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it's nice and nice, good weather, whatever. But, you know, or the Patriots and Bills, you know, people are yeah. like, yeah, oh, you can't stack that game. You know? It's like, dude, you drafted. Au contraire. Look at my. Wait, yeah. you, see my... <laughs> you drafted Josh Allen in the third round or the second round. Like, you better hope that game shoots out. Otherwise, you're dead. You know, that's that's just that's it. It's like as soon as you take Josh Allen, that game is shooting out because otherwise, why did you take him? Right. He, ha- he You can't take your quarterback at that point. I am trying to think of what uh, I don't think people are very excited about uh, Colts uh, Raiders, which is interesting because I'm not sure that that uh, is one that we should be fear- fearful of at all. But nobody ever talks about that one uh, the only thing that anybody ever talks about with the Texans and the Titans is Derrick Henry even though I think the rest of that game actually probably should be should be talked about but to your point right Chiefs Bengals still a show last year Bengals Bills year before it might have been Chiefs <laughs> Chiefs Bengals year before but last year it was it was Bengals Bills but also um, Chiefs Broncos Broncos yeah Chiefs Broncos. that was the Gosh. biggest one I think yes I was Chiefs Broncos more than Yes, yes. If people like the Chiefs ones because uh, uh, it's easy to do Chiefs stuff because you you don't always have to have Mahomes, um, you know, because he's not quite. You can you can scoop up some of Mahomes' production through his guy since he's not Jalen Hurts or whatever. People right. love people love the Chiefs stuff. But to your point, I, I think that that's why the Week Seventeen stuff, and really honestly, why this ownership stuff that we're talking about today. Some people just like scoff at it or throw it to the side. Why did, why did we, why did we change the entire structure of tournaments on, on underdog to, to lessen theoretically? No, lessen week, week 17. It. I know. I honestly think it increased it. I know. I know. <laughs> theoretically, did you see the puppy two payout structure, you know, has 10% of the prize pool going to the regular season, but it's only a hundred teams, 100 total regular season teams make, make any money in the puppy and there's 225,000 teams or whatever. I'm like, I understand. I don't, I, underdog can do whatever they want to do. I understand. And I appreciate them trying out new things, but people are like, Oh, it's, it's 10% uh, to the regular season. I'm like, it's a hundred teams, dude. Don't worry. If you get there, you, you get into that top 100, you get into that top 100. I'm not drafting for $250 for finishing 51st in the, in the, yeah. in the regular season. I mean, that's, that's the real thing, right? It's like, what's the, so the regular season prize breakdown, 10,000 to first, uh, 9,000 to second, 8,000 to third. It kind of goes down like that. In the playoffs, the top prize is 150,000. Um, eighth place is 10,000. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, I don't know, like, are you going to like sacrifice anything for week 17 for better odds of finishing, you know, for that $10,000? Like, I don't think so. I think you pull the levers to have the best odds of, of winning $150,000. That just seems like a no brainer to me. I, yep. I don't mind the regular season stuff, especially like this, where it's, you know, like you're just kind of rewarding someone for having an unbelievable team. 
who odds are is not going to get paid anything in the playoffs because yep. it's so variant. But does it mean that I want to shoot for those prizes when they're much lower? Not really. I want to I want to be building my strategy around finishing first in the week 17 final, because that's always, I mean, I shouldn't say always, maybe, maybe we'll break underdog and they'll just, they'll just <laughs> turn this into a drafter style tournament. But um, as it currently stands, that is, that is by far where the highest uh, value prizes are. Yeah. It can be, it can both simultaneously be a good thing for underdog and maybe even for the ecosystem. I think a little more so how they did it with the puppy too, uh, where let's just really reward these awesome teams, but not, take too much out of the total prize pool and make it, you know, that what that did is kind of what you've outlined. We don't need to go into it again, which actually kind of making week 17 ironically more important by removing so much and moving it over to the regular season. Because so it's more I, top heavy at the, at yeah, the top. It's just, we've so now into. you really just, yeah, you gotta, you gotta win it, but <clears throat> it can simultaneously be a good thing. What underdog is doing with the puppy two thing uh, for the ecosystem, for them, for their customers, whatever, but also not something you should even ever like, consider when you're drafting right it's just a nice perk if i hit that awesome regular season team i'm gonna make money in this thing as opposed to a thousand bucks or whatever right as opposed you make a dollar if you advance to the playoffs like you profit one dollar if you advance to the playoffs so like imagine having that i I understand it right you get 10 grand instead of making profiting one one dollar on that awesome regular season team totally fine but i'm not gonna try to draft for it Uh, on the yeah i promise i'm not gonna say to wrap but uh uh on, on, I did want to talk about, because I think we kind of really hit pretty well, actually, the kind of player combinations, that kind of stuff. I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, like draft rate, uh, meaning yeah, that's players, players later in drafts that are not either are or are not being drafted in every single draft. And just kind of what, because that is, I think what most people would say in terms of like ownership, the most straightforward part and clearly the highest leverage because right we can talk till the cows come home about Mahomes and Kelsey but they're getting drafted in every draft like yeah whether we stack them or who we have with them they're they're picked in every single draft there's a lot of ways to go around that uh potential chalkiness but like if there's a dude being drafted in 5% of drafts in the 18th round like it is almost physically impossible for him to be like really highly represented in the in the fantasy playoffs because it, it just he's just not being drafted enough and you're you're not you know unless he's Josh Jacobs of last year it, he just can't have that big of an impact going in the 18th round i mean i look back to like Eli Mitchell i don't know that there was a guy last year but Eli Mitchell 2 years ago on the 49ers uh when we thought it was a uh, Trey Sermon and Raheem Mostert and and those guys and then ended up being Eli Mitchell and uh, uh CPAT also that season when CPAT, we had really yeah. although he was a wide receiver yeah so it's a little different um, but Eli Mitchell is probably the, the best example where he, he was like yeah maybe three to five percent drafted and even though he was awesome I mean he was an incredible pick if you got him in the 18th round he still wasn't really very popular in the playoffs because there just weren't enough teams with him so that's like the the upside case but obviously these are lottery tickets. So like, how are you kind of handling those guys at the end? So, yeah. So I actually have an article that I'm working on right now. I'm hoping to get it out Monday morning. Um, and it dives into this question. And I, I think I might be kind of like, I don't know what the, it seems like maybe the the narrative or the kind of the, the intuition around this would be like, you know, this would be the time where you can get some lower owned guys. And then later in the year, you're going to, you know, it's going to be kind of 
harder to do that. Um, mm. But I, I've been thinking like maybe the time to really hit the lower owned guys is at the very end of drafts, which I don't know. Maybe that maybe that is kind of common sense. But the it just struck me that you know last year we had uh, Samaji Pirine was was very low owned it, it, it overall because Chris Evans was the guy that was being selected in early drafts. And P Ryan did not have uh, a very good playoffs. Uh, I think he, did, he had, I think he had an okay final, but he was crushing for you over a three week stretch. Had his three week stretch been moved back like four weeks, he would have been like the guy you needed. And, what jumped out to me is that like we didn't realize P Ryan was the guy you had to have in <clears throat> as the backup in Cincinnati until pretty late, like until you know mid to late August, or I think he mm-hmm. might have even been more like kind of late August, early September. It was like, oh no, this this guy was was sitting in the final preseason game and Chris Evans was active. He's the backup. It's yep. official. <clears throat> so at that point. I'm actually now planning to chase steam on guys like P Ryan. I actually want to be like a fish and go in just like whoever the hot guy is, you know, in August, I'm going to be drafting that player on a lot of my teams. Even if it's like, Oh dude, this guy used to be in the 18th round for free. Now you got to pay like a 15th round price for him. Like, yes, I want, I want to pay a 15th round price or you know whoever ends up being the backup in the on the Bengals on the Vikings you know on the Rams like we don't really know those right now but if i have reason to to feel confident that i now can properly identify the clear number 2 on those teams i will pay you know 3 rounds i'm not going to pay a 12th round pick for him but i'll pay yeah. you know a 14th round yeah, I think I will. I think I'll chase a guy up four rounds because what I think the advantage of drafting right now is primarily is that like there are guys probably sitting in the round 10 or 11 range at running back that are going to get drafted in kind of round seven, round six, round seven, right? There's guys in the round 14 range that are going to be drafted around round eight. You know, there's, mm-hmm. There's going to be guys that make big jumps in ADP value, but I don't know that those jumps are necessarily going to come. Well, they, they will, they will come from all the way kind of outside the player pool, but your odds of identifying them are so much lower, right? That's like, yeah. yeah, like, yes, there are going to be guys that are currently undrafted that are going to be really, really strong picks, but you got to wade into this huge sea of uncertainty. And you know, it's like, yeah, there's some fish out here, but it's like, yeah, but this you're in the middle just, of the fucking ocean. Yeah. yeah and yeah, it's a mile. It's a mile. <laughs> this is things a mile wide. What do you mean? Technically, yes, there are fish out here, but good luck living through the experience yeah. of trying to catch one. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas, like, I can, you know, in my <laughs> there's a little bucket in the 13th round where I can just fish in there. And I, I have much higher chance of finding the guy who is gonna jump up a few rounds in value. And you know, the team that I drafted last year it had Ramondre Stevenson in the 10th round and he was a huge value gainer 
felt like. I mean, it's Ramondre Stevenson. No one was. It's not like I had to tell people who Ramondre Stevenson was. You know, his tenth round pick. He was. He was had a very promising rookie year. There was a chance that he could take the job over from Damian Harris, which ended up happening. Like it was all pretty high floor stuff, and it just we just weren't drafting him higher at that point because we weren't we weren't confident that you know his upside outcomes would play out. And then we became more confident that he really was going to make a push for the job and, and all that. And that's, I think, one of the advantages of drafting now is that you have a chance to get guys who are going, we're going to start to feel more confident about their chances. But we already were pretty confident that they had a good shot at, you know, number two role or, you know, like, like Jalen Warren is an example of a guy like I could see Jalen Warren moving up a lot if they're like, I don't know. I think this dude's, this is going to be a committee like they really like him or, you know, mm-hmm. someone, someone like that. Maybe, maybe Warren isn't the guy, but Gibson but has someone... already started to move up. If the hype train continues on, continues on him. Once we figure out example. the Eagles, once we figure out the Eagles backfield, like these prices are not right. I don't know if I'm drafting. <laughs> I, I'm, I prefer Rashad Penny, but like we get to camp and Rashad Penny gets the first snap with Jalen hurts, right. As the starting running back. He ain't, you ain't getting him at 115 anymore. That's right. I'll tell you that right now. You know, there's st- I, I don't know who those guys are, but I know that they or he's on the roster bubble. I don't know. Penny's not yeah. getting a lot of work with the the one. He's repping with the threes today. Like, yeah, now it's know, Gainwell all of a sudden, or Swift or, or you Swift. know, now yeah. 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 But it's generally, generally, I think most of your gains right now from drafting, most of your gains from drafting right now will be within the obvious player pool the guys who definitely should be getting drafted. I think it's just like we have the order of those guys wrong. We know that. We don't know in which direction for many, many players or or all the players. And drafting right now, you're giving yourself pretty good odds of landing on some dudes who are going to shoot up. And, you know, you, you also are going to land on guys who fall or get hurt. Or, you know, you're going to have more dead teams in this area uh, of the draft window. One thing I'm not super psyched about is then, okay, I'm already going to have more dead roster spots on these teams. So I'm going to like guess right about, you know, the, the Vikings uh, number two back. <laughs> I'm going to guess right. Dalvin cook hasn't even been cut yet. I'm pretty sure he will, but okay. I'm going to, I'm like, it's definitely Ty Chandler. It's definitely Dwayne McBride. I've taken those guys a little bit. I've mixed them in a little, little bit, but like, <clears throat> but it's, it just makes, I'm like, is this really the way that I'm going to, I mean, it's just it's a it's a very, very thin bet. And most likely what I've done is taken a team that was like an absolute smash because I because I was right. Right. Draft like you're right. This team was crushing. And I added on a zero. You know, mm-hmm. at the very end, I said this team's going to smash in week 17 and I've got nothing. I've got a big bag of nothing because I tried to be too precise, too right. And instead, I could have taken a guy who has a job. I could have taken a tight end who has a job. I could have, you know just played it a little safer knowing that I'm in this giant sea of uncertainty right now. On the other hand, if you have some late steam on a guy who is surging up boards, if that player was undrafted for most of the summer or like 80 to 90% of the summer, who cares? Who cares if you have to pay, like you're going to show up in the playoffs, right? with that player and that player is not going to be represented by maybe any of the other 15 teams in that pod. Like you could have 
like, oh no, like you spent a 15 round pick, 15 round picks worth like $2. Yeah. We could probably even argue that might be too much because what it, it might be $1. It, yeah. The late it, the, your point is get spot those picks, even like up to the 14th, like you said, like ADP risers and movement and closing line value and all that different stuff is not all created equal. Right, the getting Ramond, getting let, let let's say Penny shoots up from one fourteen to seventy five is a massive, huge win for that Rashad Penny. Getting the guy that was going at two sixteen or whatever, you know, two twenty, at and paying one seventy five, even like it doesn't really matter. It, you know, using the auction dollar. I guess thing. what I'm saying took- is, I I think it does matter, but in a good way. That you're yeah. getting like they're if saying he was not being drafted, right? If he was if not he being was. drafted, now it's not good. If you take a guy who was going the 16th in every single draft, and now you're going to pay a 13th round price tag for him, I don't. I like that less. I still maybe don't hate it. You mm-hmm. know, I think you can get away with it. If you if it's a 16th round pick drafted every single draft, and now you're getting him in the eighth round, I don't like it. But in a lot of cases, what we're going to do is we're going to take guys that we're getting going undrafted, and we're taking them in the 13th, 14th, 15th round. If you were to do an auction draft, you know, you you probably have like three guys on your team that have a dollar, you know, four guys on your team that you paid one dollar for, you know, those your last four picks are worth like a dollar. They're all worth a dollar. So it's the what's the difference, you know, and if you are able to get there with a guy who was not popular early in the season. Again, you could be playing against teams that don't have him. One of the guys that jumped out to me as I was researching this article, Justin Jackson who had absolutely no production at all in 2021, except he scored 30 points in half PPR in week 16 when Austin Eckler missed that game. He was very low owned throughout the entire tournament. He ended up having the highest finals advance rate in 2021 (laughs) over the last two years. Only Justin Jefferson had a higher advance rate in terms of times drafted versus times made the finals than Justin Jackson. If you took Justin Jackson, he's the second best pick over the last two seasons in getting you to the finals after Justin Jefferson last year. And it's not just because he scored 30 in week 16. It's because when you scored that 30 in week 16 with Justin Jackson, no one else had it. No one else had it. You were like, he scored. I just want to point this out really quickly. He scored two touchdowns that entire season. They both happened in that week 16 game. He had about 500, we'll just ballpark it, 540 total yards on the entire season. 162 of them came in that game. He caught 22 passes on the season. Eight of them came in that game. He was just Austin Eckler, basically. He just yeah. he had one Austin Eckler game and did nothing the rest of the season. And look, I mean... Obviously, the chances of that happening are like one in a million, you know, and but the thing is, how how did it happen? You know, that people would have landed on that. The the Roto World blurb from this time last year on Justin Jackson was that he was on the roster bubble. He was not select for good reason. He was not selected because why would you take, you know, the number three back on the Chargers who might not make the team? But then. In August, there was a blurb that he had a stranglehold on the number two job. And the drumbeat was, you know, continue to be, no, he is the number two. And guess what? That was true. Austin Eckler didn't miss 
any time outside of that week 16 game. It's the only time Justin Jackson could have done anything. He did. You know, he was the clear number two, as it turns out. So, you know, the fact that it was 30 points and in week 16 is like variance, variance, variance. But I want to be overweight those situations. I want to go, this dude was thought to be cut. And now he's, you know, the beats, the beats are saying he's the guy. I'm going to get a chance to make up something on those early drafters. Those early drafters who got, you know, we now know that Rashad Penny is, you know, a fifth round pick or that DeAndre Swift is a fourth round pick or, you know, Kenneth Gainwell is, you know, a 12th round pick or whatever <laughs> giant value gain we get out of the Eagles or whatever giant value gain we get out of whatever backfield from guys that are generally being selected in every draft. Those early drafters, when I show up to the playoffs, they get the advantage of all of that. I'm going to be facing the good versions of those early teams, not the teams that bombed and hit on a bunch of dead roster spots. I'm going to hit on the, the super teams. I'm going to be facing against the super teams from the early window as a late window drafter. One of the ways that I can make up some of that ground is if I show up with a guy they didn't even know to take. So I I think like and, – and I think there's something psychological too where you're like, this happened to me with Evans – and P Ryan it took me a long time to get on the Evans to get from Evans to P Ryan. Ben Gretsch was in my ear, like, dude, it's P Ryan. It's P Ryan, man. What like mm-hmm. and I think sometimes like talking to Ben's really helpful because he's not doing the best ball stuff quite as much. So yep. like we're kind of in this, like, you oh, everyone knows this, everyone knows this, everyone knows this. And then Ben was like, Why do you know that? You don't know that at all. It's P Ryan. And he was right. And it didn't feel good to switch. It didn't feel good to go. Well, all my Chris Evans teams are dead, so yep. uh, you know I gotta I gotta draft P Ryan now. That was that was stupid. You know I completely whiffed that. That it always feels really crappy to like admit that some guy you drafted a bunch of was not correct. You know, but <clears throat> if we make that type of mistake again this year, which we definitely will, everyone else will have as well. You know, if the market was wrong about which number two back to take on this this backfield. You know, you probably have some dead teams as a result, but everyone else has some dead teams as well, or, or dead roster spots, I should say, maybe not dead teams. Yeah. But then you have a chance to get leverage against all of those early drafters who, who got this big advantage on you by this potential for value gain. So I just think I'm kind of like pro chasing steam on these undrafted guys. I totally have kind of come to that conclusion as well. P. Ryan is, is such a good example of it. But I think it's just another it's just another situation where you can't just say how far do we chase right any play like you'll see this again fantasy Twitter in a Discord that you're in you're hanging out with people they're like they'll treat the Daryl Henderson situation the same as the Samaj P Ryan situation it's not the same right but it'll be it'll be oh my God he rose five rounds can I still draft him. Well, Daryl Henderson is very different when Samaj P. Ryan rises five and you rounds. Daryl Henderson went from where to where? Uh, probably the 12th to the late fourth. Yeah, and he was drafted in every single draft. Every single draft, no, no matter what, right. And, yeah. and so his outlook changed, and you'll say, okay, now he's clearly better. Should I still take him in the fifth? And someone might say, well, Pat's like, I'm going to chase that steamy guy, right? It's like that situation is a very different steamy guy because of uh, all the yeah, things that's not what i'm talking consider. about exactly yeah. and but so the person might say well i don't want to chase p Ryan up from the undrafted up to the 14th or 13th round or something you say 
in a vacuum, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> but I, I'm not. It does. It feels terrible for just not even like the psychological reasons. Like you said, I was wrong. And then you're also like, God damn, imagine if I had been drafting him before yeah, we have yeah. to step, we have to separate yourself from all of that stuff. And you have to separate that specific situation from another situation. A in BBM, like you said, there are, or the DraftKings Millie or drafters, he's not being drafted in basically every single draft. And so we have to weigh that. That is an important, very, very important element, maybe the most important element to this this discussion point. And then you have to weigh the fact, like you just said, okay, I'm drafting in August. I know that there are going to be other teams from May and June and July that unlock some things that I physically can't unlock in my drafts anymore. Yeah, so they're unlocked. We know the so, answers are, you know, maybe not 100%, but we, we feel much more confident about what the answers are. But so the point of this August or early September draft is I have all this information that they didn't have. So if you then say, I'm going to draft in August because I'm going to have much, right, it's safer. I got a lot more information. I can make smarter decisions about which specific players to select. I avoid injuries and all that kind of stuff. Then use that lever. You know what I mean? That Yes, you had to chase that guy up a, a, a little bit. But in terms of an actual value change from that guy, like, again, we're talking about going from a $1 player to a $2 player, maybe three. And it's like, does that really matter? Because you're getting so many other benefits. Yes, you paid right, two more right. bucks for that guy, but you got you got you know leverage, you got certainty, you got a better projection, you got all you got all these different things that also matter, not just the ADP rise. And the point of drafting at that point in the season is to take advantage of those. Like that, if you're waiting to draft until August and then you're not pulling the levers that make August drafting advantageous, then just draft now. <laughs> like you right, shouldn't, right, right. You should, there, there's no reason to, to do it. And then the other thing I'll say is this happened last year. I think it was the puppy two, uh, the, the puppy two then, which was like, I don't know, July or August. Now we're on the puppy two and on June 1st. I think that was, uh, or two years ago, the Henderson thing happened around that time. And so ADP, when you're drafting from within the app or on your, on your computer, is just a collective rolling ADP across all contests, right? So if you, if you really, you really want to like galaxy brain this, this is why talking about the contests separately is important. We'll get to the puppy 43, you know, in uh, August and, and that's the Maj P Ryan. <laughs> That's a Maje P. Ryan level rise. Well, let's use the, we find out it's not Chase Brown, right? Right now it is assumed that Chase Brown is Joe Mixon's backup or a, a, a veteran. They don't bring a veteran in and it's not Chase Brown. It's Travion Williams, right? We get the, that same Samaje P. Ryan, Roto World blurb, rubber stamp. The Bengals love Travion. He's the new P. Ryan. He's undrafted right now. But in the puppy too, guess what? ADP is just, ADP, like if he if he if his ADP comes in at 180 when we start the puppy 43, like it's okay. You're not competing against teams that had him later. And like right. you need to treat that tournament differently, right? If you wanted to draft Daryl Henderson in the puppy two back then, after he had already risen all the way up, that was fine. Because guess what? There are yeah. no 12th round Daryl Henderson teams. Yeah, this it's the reverse tournament. situation. In the puppy 43, I'm less interested in taking I love, expensive I love running with the puppy 40 puppy well, 43 shout out to pete over who had the joke of when did the marriage fall apart somewhere between the puppy 43 and 44 that was very good yeah. <laughs> yeah um 
but anyway, you know, the puppy 43, the, uh, it's sort of the reverse. Like, do I want to take 13th round Travion Williams? Not really, because he's not like, is he that much better of a bet than any of these other RB2s that I also have right. some information on? And he's happened to get steamed up because he's on the Bengals. And, you know, we, we saw what happened with P Ryan and it's just some recency bias at play there. And so I might, I might, you know, go another direction and go after another RB2 who's maybe a little bit more on the radar, but, we, you know, we have some similar reasons to feel more confident now that he's the RB2 or whatever. I wouldn't want to chase him up because in that tournament, I'm not going against very, maybe some, depending on how long the puppy window is, but not a ton of, you know, really early season drafters that I'm mm-hmm. going to have to make up that I feel like I want to show up with something they didn't have access to because they are going to, they're definitely going to show up with something I didn't have access to all those early ADPs that are so different than the ADPs now. But yeah, I would totally, I would totally be more open to taking the Daryl Henderson because I'm not going against 12th round Daryl Henderson either. And that's what I did. Henderson that, did anything. That, yeah, he, he sucked. Uh, shout out to him. Now he's, uh, is he back? Did he just had a visit somewhere? I, I think, think he's doing uh, this. I think he's doing best ball. Yeah, now. yeah, probably, probably he's most famous. His entire football career is most famous for the fact that he rose nine rounds or whatever after Cam he didn't exactly do anything on the football field, but, um, but yeah, that's exactly what I did that particular year. I had drafted a ton of Daryl Henderson. Obviously, everybody that knows me with the backup running backs and and how I construct my teams most of the time. And so he was just this perfect fit on the teams that I was doing. I got a shit ton of him in early best ball mania drafts. Got lucky, right? Cam Akers goes down. You get lucky. Now you have this fourth or fifth round pick that you got in the 12th round. Boom, done in best ball mania. I was done. I'm not drafting Daryl Henderson anymore. The rest of these teams can get the shitty versions of the Daryl Henderson teams that I've already drafted. Then the puppy two comes back around and I'm like, actually, I think he's kind of undervalued because everybody like me in best ball mania is saying, or he really, he's probably like an early third rounder, but all these teams got him in the 12th round. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to chase him up there. And here he is sitting at the four or five turn. And I'm like, I don't know. I can start zero RB teams with this guy. Who's like, you know, like to me, like a, a early third round pick. And so then I did, I dipped my toes back in to Daryl Henderson in that contest. But like, that's how you're playing all of these, these different factors. The one other thing um, that I was going to talk about as in terms of drafting right now, not necessarily in terms of uh, how to, you know, how to handle the uh, Samaj P. Ryan or Daryl Henderson situation, but how I'm kind of combating. The ideal is that I want to be able to have my cake and eat it too at just about any point in the summer when I'm drafting. And in particular right now, I want to take advantage of all the things, like you said, I want to get the risers. I want to luck box into these risers, right? The reason why we draft in May and June, the chaos of the off season, let that all play out in my play out in my favor. But I don't want to have to do it with the guys, like you said, that are just total, like no one knows, right? Chase Brown versus Travion Williams versus uh, Chris Evans again, or Ty Chandler versus Dwayne McBride or, uh, Kyron Williams versus Zach Evans. Like there are reasons to take all those guys. I'm not saying I'm going to have zero of them in my portfolio, but how do I get these benefits that you've outlined of these early drafts while not like almost willingly t- taking zeros at the back end? And it's like, I look at it and I'm like, look, I don't love Mac Jones. I'm not some Patriots stan. Um, there's other guys, the 40, the 49ers are maybe not the best example, but if you really have some strong belief about Purdy or something, but there's like late quarterbacks that go in this. And, and in particular, there are late tight ends that yeah. are yeah. not getting cut that are they're not, getting cut. Not, not only are they not, they're getting, not getting cut, benched. 
they're not getting benched. Hunter Henry is not getting benched. Um, it, 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 Jelani, um, Tyler Conklin, Hayden Hurst, uh, a Logan Kate Thomas Otten. is a guy. Kate Otten, Logan Thomas is a guy who I just started taking a little bit on teams where he he makes sense. It's like he literally goes undrafted and like they didn't bring anybody in and he's running with the ones back again and he Here's- used to be kind of kind of good there. But he's one one example of. All- there's so many guys back there that I can just construct my rosters in a way that's like I build a team that needs a late tight end or two or a late quarterback or two. And now I get to the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th round. And dude, Mac Jones ain't getting cut. Hunter Henry's not getting cut. I draft those guys and then I can still have my cake from the the, the benefits of the draft early in the first 13 rounds. Yeah, I started to get like a little bit creeped out when you said have your cake and eat it too, because I have literally in this article, I have a section called pairing ceiling and floor. And I said, ideally, we'd like to have our cake and eat it too. (laughs) And I was like, is he going to make the exact point that I just made in this article? And luckily, it was a slightly different point. But but my point was, so preferably, we can identify backs who have underpriced upside, while also providing strong odds of regularly seeing the field on Sundays. And my, I kind of go on to talk about how, you know, last year, the example of this was Jamal Williams, who had an ADP of 167 and a half. I include a tweet from Hayden Winks, who was pointing out that at the time, Jamal Williams had an ADP of 193 and was being listed on the athletic as the one B, you know, I wasn't in that into Jamal Williams because, you know, Jamal Williams sucks, right? You know, you know, they take Jamal Williams. But obviously dumb, right? That's dumb because we should be taking guys right now who are giving us the floor of he's definitely the number two, you know, pure contingent upside that's locked in. And maybe we're just wrong about how much the starter is going to get used and how much, Mm -hmm. and I think in in retrospect, I mean, Williams was such an obvious play because DeAndre Swift has some weaknesses as a back. You know, he's not his yep. success rate was poor. You know, his his between the tackle stuff has been an issue. You know, it's pretty clear they they weren't like fully in love with him. And it turns out they they didn't like him at all. <laughs> but uh, you know, you've got that that like floor ceiling combo with a guy like Jamal Williams. Uh two years ago, Devin Singletary offered a similar bet. He had an ADP yep. of 142.4. That's not quite in the late rounds, but you would be able to get him sometimes in the late rounds. Um, and he was the, the number two on the bills at worst behind Zach Moss. Uh, turns out he was the number one on the bills. And so my feeling right now is I would like to pay up a little bit for the guys that I think are very likely to have a role that also have, you know, contingent value or maybe some committee value. And I'm not guessing. And I would say, you know, so last night I drafted a team and uh, I just thought this was a really fun team. I took Brees Hall in the third. I got Samaji Piran in the ninth, which I kind of like that as a combo just to help me, mm-hmm. help me get through the early season. Then I took uh, three more backs. I took Kendry Miller in the 11th, Jalen Warren in the 12th, and Tank Bigsby in the 13th. Those guys are all, I think, very good bets to have a role, especially I'm expecting a suspension for Kamara. So, so Kendry Miller maybe has an early season role, should also have a late season role if he's any good. Tank Bigsby looks like, you know, pretty safe bet given the lack of competition there to be the number two. And they're reporting every other day about how 
we want to back off on ETN's uh, total workload. So another yep. feather in his cap. Yep. And then Jalen Warren, I think, is the best back on the Steelers. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a hot take that I don't even think is a hot take. But so you're getting those guys now. That's 11, 12, and 13. So I didn't really spend any late round picks on those guys. They're kind of, you know, I'm paying a premium. They're sort of like late round style picks that I'm taking in the double digit rounds, but but paying up a bit for what I, I, I mean, I lucked out. I got Rasheed Rice in the 14th round. He was like 30 picks past ADP. So that was nice. But then I got Michael Mayer in the 16th, Dawson Knox in the 17th, and Jelani Woods in the 18th correlated with Anthony Richardson. Um, and Mayer is kind of a nice little, little bring back there. Those, those are my only tight ends. So I took advantage of, now I like going elite tight end, but I also have written as, as an elite tight end proponent, yeah, we're not doing this in every draft. <laughs> we yeah, can't right. afford to have a portfolio that's only these guys, right? So uh, it'd just be impractical and impossible. So I like going after those those tight end values late. And if I'm going to take three like that, what does it allow me to do? It allows me to push up the running back picks a little earlier. It's one of the things that unlocks. And, you know, I can take running backs who have real potential to gain in value, or just potential to spike at the right time this season yep. because I'm confident they at least have a job. Like they, they're going to get me in the door for that variance. I'm not going to end up with like this team. I don't think has very high odds of like total dead roster spots. Josh Downs was my 15th round pick. He'll, he'll be out there right in yes. like 16 and stuff. Like there's injuries obviously are always just concern. And I could definitely have dead roster spots. Uh, I probably will have one or two dead roster spots because of an injury on this team. But the the chances of like having kind of drafted a guy who really never had a chance to provide me any points, I think I've minimized that by taking advantage of that tight end pocket like you're talking about. And that's the thing is it's 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 the having your cake and eating it too. It's the drafting like we we know we need the ceiling. We know we need to win this tournament. But in order to win the tournament, you, there is some level of this floor idea, right? With not just like a floor of, I think people will think of a floor and like he projects for X amount of yards and X amount of fantasy points. It, it is not that. It is a floor across my teams where I know I, I, it's a, a no lose floor, right? This, th this pick is allowing me not to lose this draft. Am I going to win it? I don't know. You know, probably not. There's only a, you know, two out of 12 teams win this, but Devin Singletary and Chuba Hubbard and, and P Ryan and, and all of these guys allow me to not lose this draft because I know I have Jelani in my back pocket and Michael Mayer in my back pocket. And I I'm, I'm taking far too much Mac Jones in my back, in my back pocket. 17th you know, round I, Knox was pretty nice. I mean, that was past ADP, but I was like, that but that's just a starting tight end for the bills. I bet we could list. 15 tight ends that you can get in the late rounds. And that may seem like an exaggeration, but I'm not sure that it is depending. No, I don't think it's an exaggeration. I, uh, I did a podcast yesterday with Daigle and we, uh, we looked at a chart that Hayden Winks had, had posted on differences in ADP from last year. And the non Kelsey early tight ends are going much later, but the late tight ends are also going later. So there's, there's ADP value. It like compared to last year, and now maybe that'll change over the course like of the yeah. overall positional landscape. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, they're going cheaper, and maybe that maybe that will shift 
later in the year, but <laughs> that would be a reason to target that pocket now. That's the last thing I was going to say is if we think, if we see this and other people see this and like everybody, like late round tight end is certainly not a thing that people are uh, you know unaware of. I think it was even Herzig put out, like if he could draft his dream best ball team this year, it was three late tight. It was three late tight ends. I think a lot of people are clearly as the elite tight ends besides Kelsey are being priced down more. People are interested in kind of punting off tight end it's 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 totally viable it makes sense why people are into it but then we're gonna get later and there's gonna be dude a hunter henry blurb that says yep hunter henry back at starting tight end for the patriots mike right? Kisicki, gonna... uh, yeah punched himself in the face trying to block a dude <laughs> yeah exactly mike mike Asiki is just now juju's backup like congratulations <laughs> like you know like uh, juju now uh, backing up mike Asiki in the slot there's gonna be a jelani dude Get Jelani out there in some shorts with no shoulder pads on, running around catching passes. From there's going to be a Twitter highlight, and they're going to be like, "Oh my god, is this a second year breakout for Jelani?" I'm surprised we haven't gotten that already. Uh, Oh, you know know what? He has a hamstring injury. That's why he's Uh, he's got a hamstring. He's not out there. See, but why can't those another cake and eat it too? Why can't the tight ends be the risers? Right? We know that there will be a P Ryan. We know that there will be someone. But the tight ends are going to rise too. So now you're you're setting yourself up for this beautiful situation of you created zero risk. You created just amount, j- just the same amount of upside. All those running backs, dude, Warren, Algier, uh, all these guys, they all have huge upside. Just like there's no difference in their ceiling. It's probably higher. I mean, shit, we saw Tyler Algier do it. We've seen Chuba yeah, do it. We've seen good, we've seen Warren like be good on an NFL football field. We haven't seen Ty Chandler. You know, and like, I, it, sure, I'll chase Ty Chandler's team later, but like, we can again, we can have. I all will of chase that. Ty Chandler's team later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, but we can have all of the benefits of that. As I'm ranked, but without, yeah, you don't want ninth round Ty, Ty Chandler. But that, that I mean, I, does Silva know Madison is on the team? <laughs> like, I, it's only Dalvin that's getting cut, right? Like, they're not cutting. That would Madison. be something if they cut Madison too. <laughs> <laughs> they just paid. They just paid Madison. They put him. That was the that was the false flag. Was they put Madison on the Twitter uh, banner <laughs> and they were right, like, yeah. "Not you fuckers." It's really it's Dalvin and it, him and Dalvin look alike, so they we're gonna cut both of them. <laughs> uh, but you can have all of that, dude, and the, like you can you you could capture insane ADP value by not drafting the risky guys at the end. You can capture insane ADP. Like that's the thing. You're like drafting for now, and we know that ADP value, closing line value, will exist and all of that. But you can get it without exposing yourself to like tanking awesome, awesome teams because you willfully took a zero. Like there's so many ways that we can be smart about how we do, right? It's a thoughtfulness thing again. Like what Sigmund did, was that complex? Fuck no, that was not complex what he did. He took Travis Kelsey and Devonta Smith, two pretty good picks. Are we doing anything complex saying like, uh, Hunter Henry in the eighth round seems good. Uh, You know, Jelani's got some upside. Michael Mayer was probably the best tight end in this class and is free. Like, are we, we're not doing anything complex by saying that. And then it's just thoughtfulness that leads into really well-constructed teams. Yeah. Yeah. And just understanding the strengths of the period that you're drafting in and playing to those strengths. I'll, I'll try to tie this all together real quick. You know, one thing we talked about early with the, the chalky stacks and, and stuff that you can do with that. I think if you had a Mahomes Kelsey team, you know, talk about how you could maybe push uh, Mahomes to the third round, really, you know, try to push that edge and construct a, a team that looks kind of like an August team 
with the Mahomes Kelsey stack, but that has all this June value. Well, in August, if you want to draft Mahomes Kelsey, I would be even more interested in targeting those backups, mm. backup running backs who aren't who were not being drafted early on because that's one way Mahomes Mahomes and Kelsey have a quiet week 16 but Ty Chandler scores 30 you know well Ty Chandler was being drafted on I don't know he's almost not drafted at all right now so you're getting huge advantage on I mean imagine that you show up with a late August team that's Mahomes and Kelsey you got you got Mahomes in the third round and you Mahomes and Kelsey are fairly high owned because they had pretty good uh, week 15, not such a great week 16, great regular season. You, and it's just a super popular one. So it's kind of, kind of snuck in and stuff, but you get to show up with the third round version of that. Everyone else is going to show up with like the, the second round version. And the reason that you get to show up with the, with the cheaper version is because you had some guy they just didn't have access to. You had the the late round Ty Chandler, whoever it ends up being, that powers you through. You know, you could end up with a much stronger version of of the team than than they have because you're taking advantage of all the information. Maybe maybe it's a healthier version of the the Mahomes Kelsey team. You know, it's like yeah, these guys they got some AVP values, but they they have fewer live roster spots than you do. So, I think playing to the strengths of the season, but also trying to think through. If you are going to factor in some of this chalky stuff, well, then maybe you want to be thinking through the overall ownership once we get to the playoffs a little bit more and trying to take advantage of that late season ability to to draft the low-owned guys. That, my friend, is how you fucking put a bow on a, a conversation right there. Literally tied in basically everything that we've talked about here today into one really simple and easy but one more concept. Thing. Yeah. But, one more <laughs> but before we wrap, let's really dive into this Vikings backup running back. thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay? yeah. Let's really get our hand in the dirt and pull up some Dwayne McBride and Ty Chandler. And uh, who's the uh, Ken a Wong Wu. Is he still on there? Is he still on there? Yeah. yeah. I know he's yeah, basically he's a not a running, a running back, but, uh, but hey, you don't know. It could be Ken a, Okay. We could be talking about Ken a Wong Wu uh, uh, in a little while, <laughs> obviously, obviously kidding. I've learned. Um, I'm a terrible host. And I think you said in like our first show business person clearly, because I keep forgetting to do the promo at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah. I, and, I've and, never done the promo. I think I've done it once. I've done my promo stuff at the beginning of episodes. I need to do I, what I need to do is just, which is super lame and lazy, but uh, record something just in case, just for in case I forget. So I can just click a button that shows a video clip or something. But anyway, if you made it this long with us, if you made it through uh, last week's real marathon episode, we appreciate you. And you are probably the perfect customer for a fun little partnership that we have between Legendary Upside and Spike Week. Obviously, Pat is providing all this killer type analysis and rankings and everything over at Leg Up. And we at Spike Week are providing the best ball tools. We have tons of different tools, but our two keynote tools being a draft hacker, which are overlays that you can use on your, and I, I can't even keep track of how many customizable options that you can select as a subscriber to show specifically on your screen while you're drafting to help you figure out some of these things like Pat talked about. And like we talked about here today, multi table as well. If you're trying to fire off three puppies at once, you know, you got, you got maybe the double monitor in the phone. 
it can uh you get the two it's, overlays it, it does help I, quite a bit i can't draft like without it even though i feel like like you feel like you can like calculate all these things in your head right like when you're on the clock but there's just something about right this guy's popping in green all his playoff matchups are highlighted his exposure is this percentage I use um, I show exposure like with my quarterback one and I show exposure with my first round pick and my second round pick. And so like, I'll get to, we get to Jalen Warren versus Tyler Algier. And I'm like, I can, I can make really quick and easy. Just like, I don't have to think I, sh- I can even shut the brain off. And the screen is just saying, no, it's Warren here, dude. It's Warren on this team or no, it's Algier on this team. And I don't have to go through that mental processing. So that's, that's definitely the big one. If you're drafting the rest of the summer, it is absolutely killer. And then once you draft your teams, we have a a portfolio tool we call draft IQ, which really helps me and has helped me a lot so far this summer, dig into the drafts that I've done and kind of see maybe where some gaps are in my portfolio or see maybe where some things I really want to start to, to push my edges uh, structurally player combinations, week 17 game stacks, all that kind of stuff that you can see there. And you get 40% off of your spike week subscription. If you are a legendary upside subscriber and all you got to do is use promo code leg up. So make sure you go subscribe to Pat and then you can come get 40% off of a spike week subscription. What did I miss Pat? Well, I'll just let people know I am still running in early bird discount. So if you want to subscribe to legendary upside, um with some some content coming out very shortly that i've been cooking it's been a little bit of a slow burn to get these articles the way i want them but um i'm gonna be putting this one that we kind of talked through some of the key concepts of on this episode out very shortly uh i also am gonna be launching DraftKings ranks in addition to the underdog ranks that i have um feeling pretty good about those. I actually, to be honest, drafting off those on DraftKings, I found more helpful than drafting off the ranks on underdogs. The ADP is so much looser. I just yeah. like want to be able, and you can on DraftKings, you can rank, you Toggle can sort by ADP and, and yeah. So you can, so it's actually super helpful. Cause I'm like, just who do I like here? Okay. And then who, what's the ADP value? So it's actually, I, th- I just think it's so much more powerful. I was like, yeah, I got to figure out a way to get, get the people, these ranks too. So uh, those will be launching. I'm planning on getting those out Monday too. Um, and so, yeah, you can look for those, uh, if you go to legendaryupside.com slash early, that's how you get the early bird discount. I do still have some underdog credits available. You got to fill out a form. Um, if you're this, the, the link to where that form is on the site, uh, will be in the description. Um, got to fill out that form so that I can send your username over to underdog, but you can get a $50 underdog credit. Uh, if you sign up right now. So it's a pretty good deal on top of the 40% off spike week that you get as a legendary upside subscriber. It is uh, financially irresponsible not to sign up for my site. I totally, I totally agree. And I will make sure um, if you're watching now, all of that information will be in the description of this video. I'm sure Pat will do the same. This gets posted on both of our channels. So Pat's latest article and where you can go to get all of those discounts and all this damn free money. Apparently when you win $2 million, you just start giving away tons of free, of free money. But that's going to do it for us here on legendary sickos. Everybody have a, a wonderful weekend and we will see you guys next week.